McNulty standing for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to Pier Forecast episode 106. Well, the start of the Cowley's new reign, Pompey come from behind to win 2-1. Joining the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? I'm not too bad, thank you, Hugh. Nice to have some positivity around, buddy. How are you doing? Yeah, mate. Can't stop smiling. Team pressed, looking good. We're going to get into all that malarkey, but generally life's pretty happy for me. Think I feel things are opening up as well, so... Keep that positivity going with Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? I'm doing very well, Hugh. Thank you. Yeah, things are still going great back up north. My weekend hasn't been ruined by a ports of results. So that's always nice. And they played exceptionally well again in that game. And I haven't felt this positive about my side in a long time. It's great as well, isn't it? You know, we're looking online and uh, all you lot out there as well. I'm guessing you feel the same when you're scrolling through Twitter and you just see this positivity and we're going to get to your comments as well. And it's just, it's just great to see, to read. And my whole life feels better now with Pompey doing well. And it's only been one game. It's one of those things that we spoke about a little bit, didn't we, about mental health in the football club and how, I mean, the football club is the heartbeat of the city. And I know a lot of football clubs do say that, but we, we'd got to the point where it was genuinely starting to affect some fans' mental health, the sort of the vibes that were around the club. And it's just amazing how the mindset of so many people can change within, you know, five days or a week. And it's so nice to be on this side of it compared to kind of feeling down in the doldrums like a lot of people were. Yeah, what a week, two weeks ago now. A lot can change. Yeah, massively. Right, let's get into it. First of all, we're going to review the thumping 2-1 win against Ipswich. Following on from that, we spoke to you and asked for your comments. And thanks again for everyone for messaging in. We wanted to know, it's been play sailing for the Cowleys, or will there be choppy water ahead to navigate? And finally, we're going to speak to Ollie from the Salop cast to preview the game against Shrewsbury and give you guys the lowdown on everything to do with Shrewsbury. Right, let's get into it. Freddie Webb, let's start off with you, mate. Pompey go one nil down. The goal, being a little bit critical from the start, Sean Raggett looks out of position, a little bit slow on the turn, but it's a great finish, isn't it, from James Norwood? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I... Hugely rate James Norwood. I rate him very highly for this division. It was, it, it was. I felt exactly the same as when he went one on one against Portsmouth in the cup game of, earlier in the season. It was obvious he was going to score, even though it's from a tight angle. Ipswich really did start to control that final phase of the first half. They they retained the possession exceptionally well, even though Portsmouth pressed and looked positive. They didn't create any chances before that, and they struggled to deal with uh, Ipswich style of play. And yes, it's an excellent finish and the, and the through ball is really good. But yeah, Sean Raggett's slightly out of position and it's the similar sort of mistakes he's making where he doesn't deal with either 
a player dribbling, dribbling at him with pace or a or or dealing with um, a through ball like that. Andy, do you reckon it's fair to say that you know Raggett's been making a few a few errors recently? We can say that a few clangers. The Cowleys come in; they know Raggett, know him well. They turned him into the defender that Norwich picked up and thought he was a Championship player. I know this has been you know, mooted around; might be in the news. I can't remember where, but do you think the Cowleys can come in and just change Raggett into the player that he was in the middle of the season earlier on, or better? You certainly hope so, don't you? I think it's. I mean, we're all creatures of habit to a certain extent, and because of the experience that they have had working with Raggett in the past, they are, you would assume, going to know what what works and what doesn't work. And I think a lot of the last few months has been a sort of negative momentum at Pompey with almost self-fulfilling prophecies and mistakes begetting mistakes. And it's kind of this sort of fresh image now where you, you sincerely hope that he can start afresh with friendly faces that he knows from earlier in his career that he's got positive memories with and as you say sort of help build his career from the ground up in the first place and you sincerely hope that some of these you know the individual mistakes that have come from what is really a lack of confidence over the last few weeks that they can get cut out of the game but I mean as Freddie says yeah this first goal you could certainly say that you know the, the uh, Norwood gets in behind too easily but kind of similar to one of the goals against Northampton, you'd say it's a bit of a thumping finish really, isn't it? And you can't expect McGillivray to, to do anything about it. It's just a good finish. And as, as Freddie says, Norwood is one of those players who can just have a moment of magic and turn a game in a, in a split second if you give him half a chance. And unfortunately, we did give him half a chance and uh, he didn't waste it. But thankfully, we know what happened after that. But yeah, we were on the back foot for a little bit after conceding. And then with football, all it takes is one one split second, right? One half chance and changes the whole feel of the game, which is what happened with the equaliser. I was just going to say, though, that the equaliser comes. It's not too long in. Just before half-time is a corner. Let's be honest, before the Cowleys came in, we looked poor from corners. We looked poor from set plays again. It was something that we were all thinking, you don't go from being good in the air to naff in the air overnight. What's going on? We couldn't get our heads around it. There was no statistical reason why it wasn't going to work out. Suddenly... First half, ball in from Ronan Curtis and Tom Naylor's there to head home. Fred, what was the difference how Pompey set up or is it just a confidence thing? Uh, a confidence thing. I think a lot of it was simply down to the cross from Ronan Curtis. It was excellent pinpoint right in the danger area of the penalty area on the edge of six-yard box where the keeper can't really come out and collect it. And Naylor, and Naylor rose high above his defender and it was an excellent finish. It's one of those where... Again, it's just a, it's an excellent corner goal, and I think I don't think there's a, a real reason statistically that I can think of why Portsmouth haven't been doing that recently. But I think it's it's purely down to confidence on that one. Curtis wasn't putting in the deliveries like that that he was in this. Game I think we got a bit predictable, to be honest. I I don't know if it's the case that we got less, you know, the corners were less skilled. I think our our set plays got more predictable, especially when you know Harrison was fit. There was a lot of hanging ball to the far post and then Harrison or whoever someone tall centre back or Harrison at the far post tries to get ahead on it and heads it back across goal and it was very much more looping just getting the ball in the mixer and that far post was kind of the go-to Pompey dead ball routine it seemed like to me anyway whereas this was the sort of polar opposite of that and it was a whipped ball with pace and curve on it and it was basically the antithesis of what I've been expecting from dead balls from Pompey in the weeks previously so I don't know if that's what caused the difference if we're focusing more for that sort of whipped ball approach which 
obviously is generally going to be more dangerous, you'd think, over a over the course of a season. But I don't know if the fact that, you know, Harrison's obviously sidelined now for, for quite a while is going to change how we approach those dead ball situations. His season's done, Andy, I think. Yeah, know. yeah, it is. Yeah, it's 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 really crap to see. I feel extremely bad for him, but yeah, I think he's out for the whole season now. Yeah, no Ellis Harrison, and we'll we'll come on to this when we sort of look at previewing the next game against Shrewsbury. Let's go to the second half. It's one-one. We go in and we think right, bit of momentum. Pompey back, looking better, pressing from the front. Freddie, what do you think about the energy levels of the team and the way that they press? Because I'll be honest, people were saying, oh, the players before didn't look interested. You know, I think they just didn't have a clue what the system was at the end. I don't think Kenny Jackett knew. He didn't know his best team. He said that. He didn't know his best formation. This is a good group of players, isn't it? And in the second half, they showed that they could beat a good team in Ipswich. Yeah, um, the argument that the um, the lack of pressing was more structural than just players being tired. I think that argument is shining through a lot. I read an article from <clears throat> Neil Allen, the Portsmouth News, about Marcus Harness and about how how he's saying he he was told not to be as aggressive on the um, the fullbacks and the centre halves as he was in this game, purely because he had to. He felt like he was out wide and had to cover cover the space in ca- in case they won the ball back, and that's not completely down to the fact that Ports were playing Saturday, Tuesday. It was a tactical decision. And I was really, really impressed with how um, the, uh, how the Ports were players pressed today. Excellent. That's the sort of thing you had to have done against the Paul Cook side, who, who loved to retain possession. And I thought especially, which we'll go on to, the subs changed the game in the second half for me. That was the biggest thing to come out of it. I think in terms of the pressing there, Fred, a lot of it was that it looked so much more drilled. I think that, you know, you could... People have it, comments. It wasn't to say completely about, random, was it? No, people have got comments to say about John Marquis, etc. I know they have over previous weeks that I've sort of disagreed with. But one of the things you can always say about him is that he's always, you know, sprinted to close down keepers, etc. But if one player does it, it doesn't really make a huge amount of difference. This looked really drilled. It was like quarter of an hour in. I remember, like fifteen minutes into the game, and Ipswich played a back pass, and you could hear from the sideline one of the Cowleys shouting. Go, 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 go. You could hear it over the microphone. And it wasn't a case of one Pompey player went to chase down the keeper. It wasn't a case of two random players. You could watch three players then. It was Williams, Hiwula, and I think Harness. All of them listened. Harness knew to drop back. Williams and Hiwula knew that their job at that point was to close down the keeper. And after two days of training, it looked drilled. And all three of them knew exactly what their role was in that moment. And that is what we've been missing in previous weeks, I think, personally. It was, even, it was, it was a even cumulative effort when, for me. Yeah, it was even different from when Ports were playing more of a high press earlier in the season. I felt like that was more of individual players told to press on certain people, whereas this is a system of pressing, almost like a Gagan press, which was very good to see out of the players, I think. So it was alongside the pressing, there's another reason I thought Pompey managed to turn it on, switch it on. We've been saying for a while that Andy Cannon, we rate him as a player, good player, but he looked a bit leggy, not quite getting and making the impact he was earlier in the season. We've been asking for something to change up. Is it Byers? Is it White? Nope. It's the frozen out man from Kenny Jacket. Frosty the snowman himself in that sense, in Kenny Jacket's sense. Pompey legend, local lad Ben Close. Comes onto the team for Andy Cannon, onto the pitch. You've got to say, <laughs> Ben Close... His passing, his distribution, his calmness really rubbed off on the team, didn't it, Andy? 
Yeah, I think the fact that when we were talking about Man of the Match nominations at the end of it, the fact that Close was getting mentioned in quite a lot of the comments and even in our sort of group chat deciding on the four to go up, there were you know numerous people saying that he should be in that four. To to have that level of impact after coming on as a sub is, yeah, it says it's testament to to the impact you have on the game when you've come on. It's rare for that to be the case. And his substitute appearance the last week when he came on and had a bit of an impact, it was really good to see because it was basically a bit part player under under Kenny Jacket for the, the final few months of his reign at Pompey. And then, I mean, we, we said that we really wanted him to succeed. But then when he was getting, you know, 35 minutes of football every four weeks, there's no footballer on the planet you can expect to come on and grasp that opportunity and take a you know take the game by the the scruff of the neck so what he needs is a bit of you know time in the team and we've we've already said so many times this season how congested this season is and we're not going to be able to play the same center midfield combination throughout so to have some sort of rotation system in place with with players who have got more than 30 minutes of competitive football under their under their belt in the last three weeks it's going to make a huge difference and yeah you could tell when he came on the confidence was back there that you know there was that control of the game that that is probably been lacking a little bit in the odd parts of games he has had to play because you know he's not had the opportunity to really feel comfortable in the side and if again if you feel like you're playing for your place in the 11 every time you come on you're not going to perform if you feel like you've got the the manager or the new manager's backing and they're sort of sounding out to find out what their first 11 is going to be it's a completely different type of motivation and I just think that might not even be what what it was for him but that's what it looked like was coming through in terms of confidence when he came on. There was a bit of fight back actually on Twitter because when I remember when the Cowleys were appointed, I actually retweeted a, a tweet about Ben Close's performance uh, against Salford when he came on. And people said, to, you know, they doubted Ben Close in the sense of he's, he's not great at the tackle, he needs, to, he needs to harden up and that kind of stuff. It's the the usual sort of line for people who, who don't really, maybe they rate Close, but don't feel like he earns his position in the starting eleven. I don't really want Close to be have to be the combative midfielder. He's got Tom Naylor for that. We know this this combination worked well for us two years ago when he played alongside Tom in that situation. When Pompey start, people started calling him the Pompey Zavi, that kind of stuff. Pompey Perlo. I was pretty worried actually that Ben would actually end up being shipped off somewhere else. And I think he's got championship ability on the ball and be one of those really annoying players. Uh, like Matt Ritchie, who goes somewhere else and absolutely flourishes. And I'm not comparing the two players, but the situationally, I was kind of worried that that's the kind of thing that could happen. Freddie, what do you think was Ben Close's biggest impact on this game? I really do think he fits this Cowley team down to the ground. The Cowleys, are say, in some of the videos of the Cowleys tactics that I've watched, they love to switch to play all the time. They focus on something called wide triangles on the right, on each wing, which is basically just, again, passing into triangles, moving in, players moving into space to try and stretch the back four. Ben Close is the perfect player to switch a play if, if, if for example, one side gets overloaded. Ben Close is the perfect outball. He can collect the ball, ping it on a sixpence either to the other wing, or if there's space in the middle, he could dribble forward and play a through ball. It's, uh, the keyword for me is composure. He adds so much composure to that centre of midfield that he will be the reliable link between the midfield and the forwards. And that's what Portsmouth have missed for a long time now. Let's just go on to the goal quickly from Marcus Harness, the winner as such. And I want to read out something that Marcus Harness said on Twitter in case you haven't seen it already. So he put a picture of himself scoring and he said, just to quote, I'm fucking back. The boys run real today. Signs of good things to come from us as a group. 
Now, Marcus Arnold took that goal really nicely. That was the kind of goal we saw him score earlier in the season, actually, when Pompey were doing well, getting into the box. As Andy says, he's pressing further forward. He's You saw that with other players in the Pompey midfield. I'm overexcited explaining this, but attacking your numbers, arriving into the box, it's great to see. But, Freddie, apart from just the goal itself, what does that statement tell you about the creative freedom that Pompey players have going forward? Uh, it says that they've got all the freedom in the world now. If you've read that piece by Neil Allen where Marcus Harness talked openly about how he was deployed, uh, and I'll direct quote this, and he said, I was still looking to score and create, but was getting was getting more of the ball in the wide areas and looking to cross instead. I was playing more of a deeper role and not being as adventurous. That's because he was told to do that. A player like Marcus Harness has to be in and around the box, even if he's playing on the wing. He can still... Obviously, we know how good of a crosser he is. In my opinion, he's very, he's fairly decent at it. But when he played either at number 10 or alongside John Marcus, he was very good, simply because he was allowed to close down the defenders and collect the ball high up the pitch. And that's where he was getting his goals from. If you remember when players were talking about Marcus Harness replacing Jamal Lowe, that was the one area of the game where we thought Harness was missing, was um, in the final third scoring goals. And I, f- I definitely think he's got the ability to do that now. Yeah, I think I, I definitely echo that, Fred. If you look at the position that he's in when that that sort of that play develops on the left, and I think it's Curtis crosses the ball in on mm-hmm. the ground. Harness isn't in a traditional sort of goal-scoring position where he's you know he's sprinted into the box and he's attacking the six-yard box. He's he's a you know, not in a critical way, slightly behind the play because of how the play has developed. But he's still taking a risk at that far post and actually committing to get in, getting in the box. And as you said, that was one of the things that, you know, it was textbook Jamal Lowe is that he'd pick the ball up, run inside and almost just smash it as hard as he can, as, smash it as hard as he can at the goal from a really narrow angle. And then a lot of the time it would just sneak its way in the far corner. And this was actually kind of like a, a Jamal Lowe-style Lowe goal in that he was cutting in from that wing at the far post, taking a bit of a risk where, yeah, maybe a few weeks ago he wouldn't if he, if he was being told to play in a bit more of a, a defensive mindset. And it was just very composed. You know, a lot of players, when that first attempt gets blocked, sort of panic in the split second, but it was a very composed second finish. And yeah, it was it was a goal that I thought actually said a lot about how that second half went in terms of the cohesion in the team. So it was really nice build-up play down the left. And it was a composed ball in from Curtis. It wasn't just smashing it across the six-yard box. It was a composed thought-out ball across. And then Harness is taking a bit of a risk at the far post. And then Harness keeps his composure when the initial shot gets blocked. And the second shot is, you know, unsafe ball into the bottom corner. I thought it that sort of phase of play, it's easy to say because it, it was a goal, but that phase of play was kind of a microcosm of a lot of the things that, we noted that were good about that overall performance. And it's just so happened it ended up in a goal. Fantastic. But there were a lot of individual, like good little moments there to sort of pick apart that, that resulted in that ball being in the net. Oh, just let that sink in, people listening. Just <laughs> let that sink in. And then we're going to switch it up and go to your comments. So we said the good shit Pompey setting course for the playoffs. Plain sailing for the Cowleys, or will there be choppy waters to navigate? We ask for your views, and thanks again for everyone messaging in. Let's go straight into it. Finley messages in. Thanks again, Finley, mate, a long-time listener. He says, do we think the board also has any targets for the manager position? 
The wording regarding Cowleys in their interview sounds like they resigned for this being on 12, now 11 games. Finney, I don't think we necessarily know what's going on from the long-term appointment of the managers. I'd like to see him here. Maybe there's a contract in it. We're talking about this later on with Ollie from the Salop cast, but you know, there might be a, a win to, to uh, a win ratio or something like that. In terms of the Cowleys themselves, I was uh, I had Talkspot on in the background, and Alex Crook came on to to, to uh, he brought on a, a Cowleys interview, and they said, and I quote that Danny Cowley, this was he said, and I quote, "I'm going to manage this football club like I'm going to be here for the next ten years." So, so, so that's his mindset anyway. He he's managing this club for the next eleven games as if he's going to be there next season for seasons to come, which is positive in a sense. And I think that's what the board would want. It's it, it seems it's really strange because obviously the contract gives off the notion that he's not going to be here for very long. But it seems like there's a bit more of a project going on, especially with the head coach thing and the the rumours of getting a director of football. It seems a bit more than that, doesn't it? It does, because also George Ellick said on, on Not The Top 20 podcast, and I know he's had Danny on alongside Paul Cook in one episode, so that was like the last game episode. I said people check that out, some of you guys have already listened to it. And he said you bring the Cowleys in, not just to change the manager position, but to change the culture of the club. Now, you see what he did with Lincoln. He didn't just you know get a team, I don't know, Salford or someone, he just bought a load of players, shoved them in a team, and you know hopefully paying people up the leagues means you get promoted. He went in and changed the way that the the fans and stuff connected with the football club. So for me, it's a long-term appointment that's needed here, not a short-term appointment. And you really can't judge people on 10 or 11 games. Yeah, it's as I think, as I said already, you know, they're aiming for it being 15 games rather than 12 if we're going up through the playoffs or or whatever. But I, I really don't think that any manager coming into this situation would just see it as 11 games. I mean, that's... You can't go into a position seeing it as I know it's kind of similar in that when Harry Redknapp went to Birmingham for the end of the season and it was always going to be just till the end of the season. This feels like very different to that. He went in to try and save them for a ridiculous sum of money and it was always going to be like six games. He was going to get however many hundreds of thousands of pounds to try and keep him in the championship. This doesn't have that vibe to it. This has a, as you say, a long term project and. Like obviously there's a, a huge range of opinions in terms of the people that even listen to this podcast about where the club has come from in the last four years, where it's going in the next five years under the ownership um, with Mark Catlin sort of leading the way in, as a CO. But I think what we need is that sort of long-term loyalty and the long-term project, which is what they tried to implement with Kenny Jacket. And yeah, it didn't, obviously didn't quite work out in the end for myriad reasons behind the scenes, I'm sure. But it's we aren't the type of club anymore that goes in for that impulsive sort of 11-game short sharp. That's just not the type of person that Catlin is. And you can see from the comments that the Cowleys have made since coming in, they've talked about, you know, it being sort of a dance on the pitch rather than a, you know, a, a, a traditional football style. And what we were saying earlier about sort of that choreograph closing down, it almost was, you know, it was choreographed. The players knew where to be when and who should be pressing and who should be dropping back to cover, etc. And you, you're going to struggle to implement that successfully in 11 games. It has to be more of, more of a long-term project. And yeah, I th- the general consensus with it was that it was a good thing that it was a short-term appointment. And I'm, I'm, within, I'm in that group, I think. It was 
a, a good idea. And I can see, Hugh, I think you're shaking your head there. I think you disagree, but I think a lot of people thought it was a good idea to, you know, see where we're at at the end of the season. And then, as you say, if we can get some sort of clause in the contract that if it goes well, they've legally got to stick around. Fantastic. Um, but I think it's a case of, you know, as I said before, uh, on, our, on our emergency podcast, when, when Jack had just left, what's the worst that can happen this season now? Like, I don't want to quote the Game of Thrones writers, but expectations have been subverted so much that, you know, how how low are we expecting it to get? Anything is a bonus now because of where our mindsets were at two weeks ago. Anything is a bonus at this point. I think it's, I just think it's very odd bringing someone in as a manager who's known to come into clubs, get roll up their sleeves, get really involved more than just in a head coaching point of view. I think it's a little bit odd then to appoint someone for 10, 11, 12 games in a season, hopefully 15, as Andy pointed out. Go on, Andy, what are you saying? Yeah, but it's it's like, obviously it's not an issue. Otherwise, they wouldn't have wanted to come to the club and agree to this. It's not like Pompey said, right, you've got 12 games or nothing. And they've gone, all right, all right, we'll come for 12. I think there was a case in which they said, despite people saying, don't take the job, what's the point in doing it for 12 games or whatever? They believed in themselves to do it, even though even though there's little job security and it was a fantastic opportunity, so they took it anyway. Um, and I suppose you'd have to ask them themselves in that point of view to get as much detail. But for me, if you decide to bring in managers with big personalities, this club needs a lot of changing, let's be honest. This, it needs a cultural change. The fans need to be reconnected with the fan base. So... To not give someone that security to come in and say, look, you're going to be here for one season plus this at least and see how it goes. For me, it's an it's a, it's an odd decision. We'll see how it works out. If they get promoted, or sorry, if they do well and people have a look at them, championship team potentially could snap them up. Yeah, they could potentially all, all day long, couldn't they? Yeah, um, it, just, it just seems odd. There, there, there's an option for that. It's a, it's a similar argument that we were talking about a while back when we were thinking, why aren't the key players getting at least new contracts off to them in the summer, in January? Yes, we know that, oh, we're worried about potentially splitting the squad. Well, you, for those players who don't get a contract off in January, tough. Yeah, uh, You'd have to pull your socks up and, and earn it. And it's the same here. Yes, they're looking at it from a pragmatic point of view, saying, oh, we don't know where we are, which it, which is something to consider. But I think it was the type of it's the type of manager and a type of contract that makes it weird. If it was a more, a, a, like a more of an experienced championship or league one, league one manager who's used to more short term jobs, the short term deal doesn't seem that ridiculous. But but this, it seems very odd. <laughs> it, it just seems very odd. I, 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 it's weird to it's weird to think about. I just hope it goes really well, and I'm sure it will do at this rate. If if Saturday's anything to go by. Pompey has the messages in. He says it's mental how much changes in a week. From the toxic environment, it was under jacket, to how alive the fan base is now. Beautiful scenes. I think the Cowleys can get us the playoffs, but we need to be on top of our game. Mate, Pompey has an I am feeling your positivity right now. Clearly, I think if you if you look at back at the last pod we recorded, and I remember we spoke about it afterwards, the last one before um before Kenny Jacket left. And Again, none of us are the sort of people to call for a managerial head and we were just a bit down about it. And I remember saying to you afterwards, you know, that, that was a really serious pod for our standards. And we normally have a bit of a laugh as, as we are it here. Was ve- it, just- it was very, um, 
yeah <laughs> the, the the mood was in the background the entire time I'm sure exactly the and I, I kind of felt like i was speaking from the heart but on, on those podcasts where things were a bit a bit miserable but oh, it was it was a really difficult one to record but yeah as you say it's amazing how quickly things can change and i don't know if you're going to talk about you the, the poll that pompey news now put out a couple of days ago about you know what are our expectations for the end of the season and i think the majority were sort of voting for playoffs now but two weeks ago, the majority were voting for, you know, missing out on playoffs. And it's only been, you know, a week, 10 days. It's only it been is, one game. It's staggering how much can change in terms of mentality. And this is what you're saying about, you know, the Cowleys coming in and they're not just changing the style on the pitch. They're trying to change the dynamic of the club. And we spoke, again, we spoke about on the podcast in one of these sort of slightly more serious conversations, how there seemed like there were just issues at the core of the club in terms of their relationship with the fans and in terms of the fans' relationship with the club and how that sort of interweaved with how people are feeling isolated because of COVID-19 and this, that and the other. But you've got fresh faces coming in, essentially rebuilding from the ground up and looking at the big picture. And it's had an effect on the fan base. And it's just, I'm, I'm personally really grateful to see it because... I mean, I was genuinely close to not watching a game for the first time in this entire season and probably most of last season as well. I was, you know, it was the closest I'd been to being like, money is money. And I've, I've not enjoyed the last how many games. I mean, we didn't watch the Ipswich game together, but how many games in a row have we watched you on while watching over Zoom and, you know, not had a positive feeling at the end of it for quite a while? And it's just so nice. You know, when we scored that winner, I shouted, I clapped and I shouted in my yeah, house. Yeah. And it's been a while since I've had that. And it's so nice with everything else going on at the moment. It's so good to have that change of vibe. Oh, exactly. I've gone from Tuesday's game against Peterborough, where I looked at the lineup and went, yeah, I'm not wasting my time watching that, to being excited at, at, at my laptop at one o'clock, ready to watch the game on a Saturday. It's, it's amazing. And I actually fully enjoy getting into the detail about Portsmouth again, which I, which I wasn't for... A few weeks I think even even before we'd won the game this is the thing it isn't just result oriented in terms of us going a goal down I saw numerous comments on social media when we went a goal down and rather than oh here we go again I, I saw tweets Facebook comments everything on social media saying actually you know don't write us off here I've got a bit of a funny feeling this could be a bit different and bearing in mind we'd not won a game from from a losing position for for almost two years, I've not seen that type of comment for a long time. And that was yeah, bef- well, that was when we were one nil down, and there was still a vibe of you know things might actually be changing before even the result. And the result has just accelerated that feeling and exacerbated that feeling. And but it's just that change of persona makes such a big difference, you know. Tom Dubber messages in. He says. Such promising signs from the boys against Ipswich. Let's hope the energy, positivity and high-pressing tactics carry over to what will be a tricky game against Shrewsbury. Finding form and consistency will be the key to getting into a potential playoff battle. Play up, Pompey. Completely agree, Tom. Let's just keep it up. We'll keep up this positivity as a fan base. Get the team going. Get them to keep it up as well. When they're doing well, let's throw that praise at them. Let's continue this momentum. And let's keep your things going. Thurg's message is in. He says, if the league has proved anything over the years, it's that anyone can beat anyone. The team looked like a completely different class against Ipswich. A full week of training and the rest from Tuesday fixed 
and a rest from a Tuesday fixture should have the boys fresh and ready. Let's go for this. Freddie, the boys having the week with the Cowleys training, no game on Tuesday. Do you think that's going to be a big advantage for us heading into the game against Shrewsbury? That's massive. That's a big, big, big thing. They've been playing Saturday, Tuesday for as long as I can remember. I can't remember the last time literally they had a break on the Tuesday. It was insane. And having those extra extra days at training where they're not prepping for a game, which would be the majority of what they're doing, and just purely focus on the basics of how the Cowleys want to implement their style of play and fixing some of the weaknesses that, that, were, that they were on a Saturday. Because... Even though they did, they played, and the style was exceptionally good against Ipswich. But you could see that some of the players were getting used to making the right making the right runs into space and the right passes. And you could tell it was a side that had been trained for a day. So if a side that was trained for a day could play like that against Ipswich, imagine what that side could do with another week under their belt. Cowley Carves misses him, formerly Jacket's Jacket, and says. Remaining games against teams in the bottom half of the league. I'm interested in how we look to break teams down who sit in deep. We had the issue with Kenny and Cook. Playing style isn't as strict as Cook's times here. Uh, for them, it's about efficiency. Pressing weaker teams into mistakes may be key. Now, lads, we come on to talk about that with Ollie from the Salad cast, but how are we going to break down teams that sit back and just defend against us or park the bus, as Paul Cook used to say? It's always very difficult. Um, I can remember watching so many England games where they're playing a lower-rated country in the in like European or World Cup qualifiers, and it always looked pedestrian how they would struggle so much to go go past ten men behind the ball. And that's been Portsmouth's Achilles' heel for a long time, breaking teams down in certain games, where they, especially when they don't score the first goal, but also when they sit back a lot. I think the key is they just have to be patient. They can't rush it. They can't mentally collapse after the first 20 minutes where they haven't got a clear-cut chance, for example. They just had to be patient, use those wide triangles that I'm sure every Pulsar fan now knows but from watching those Cozy's Voices videos with the Cowleys and stretch the back four and stretch the deep midfield where there's space. And if the players run into the space and get a shot on goal, eventually what a, one might be a clear-cut chance. Yeah, and we've got the quality in the side to take those chances. If you look at the attacking midfielders we've got at our disposal, not only that, but we need to look at keep getting these uh, set pieces right. Pompey's got the ability to score from set pieces. If a team is going to sit back and defend back against the walls, they're going to give away corners. They're going to give away opportunities. Now, Shrewsbury coming up, as we'll talk about, are actually very good at defending those sort of opportunities. But just generally, it's about keeping to the game plan and hopefully the class will show through. Mike Davies messages in. He says, teams down the bottom will be fighting to stay up. There's no easy games. Shrewsbury are a tough outfit and have already beaten Sunderland and Peterborough at home. Well, Mike, they certainly are. And we're going to come on to that in a minute in our game review. So Abby messages in. Of course, there'll be choppy waters. We're Portsmouth. Yeah, you probably say that again. Nothing is ever plain sailing. However, the way we played Saturday gives you more confidence that anything could happen, including the playoffs in brackets, rather than sinking, feeling we're, we're doomed for two weeks ago. That makes it all the better, doesn't it, Abby? The feeling of sinking hopelessly down the league, thinking, all right, maybe even a bottom half finish is going to happen. You can't win in one game in eight or whatever it was. Now, one game and a new approach has turned it around for all of us. And it's good to see people messaging in, 
I'm feeling that positivity. Nick Pullen messages in. He says, because we're moving up on up. Nick, I was wondering who the first person would be to put in a moo joke. So credit to you, buddy. We're moving on back up to the top. Moving on up. Nothing can stop us. That's a song, isn't it? Moving on up. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, God. We just have a section of the pod that is just like two minutes of constant cow puns just to get mm-hmm. all in one place. Oh, nub. Mm-hmm. Over and done with. <laughs> what, what an absolute bullshit segment that would be. Very clever, Freddie. Very clever. How, you were reading that off a sheet, Frederick. I saw. No, I was not. I was not. I'm big on the puns. <laughs> Go on, Freddie. Love worry. it. It's time to break free because nothing can stop us. Nick, we'll see if you're right. Ethan messages him. <laughs> Could have asked for an easier run. It couldn't have asked for an easier run in. If we play like we did against Ipswich for the next 11 games, there should be no reason why we can't get a playoff spot. I suppose, Ethan, it depends on how teams around us do as well. We've got teams dropping points. Donny aren't looking that great. Peter Baracci aren't looking that great at the moment. Charlton very hit or miss. Blackpool making a surge, as I knew, as if I knew the long-time listeners of the podcast would say, it was only a matter of time. So... You can say we haven't asked for an easier run, and I disagree, actually, on the level that actually sometimes near the end of the season it can be a lot harder to play those teams who are fighting for their lives down the bottom of the league rather than teams that are just about missing out on the playoffs and that kind of thing. So let's play how we are. We're a good team with quality players and a quality squad who could, if they played to their potential, for sure get into the playoffs. Exceptionally competitive league. And the dream is to is for for a side chasing playoffs or, or to win the league. The good thing would be just playing teams who who have already sewn up staying in the league but are not going to go anywhere. And there and there aren't many teams in this league. Uh, most of the teams have got something to play for, whether it be staying up, surviving relegation, securing a playoff spot, etc. So the run in, yeah, it's it's favourable on paper in terms of the quality of sides we're playing, but mentally and what the those players are playing for it might be slightly more difficult than we think yeah I think Fred if you look at the table I mean Fleetwood are 15th and they're six points off the playoffs it's, <sighs> That's it's, mental. it's absolutely insane I know we always say that the league is close but you know to be they're what six points off the playoffs and uh, actually points wise they're quite a long way off the bottom the relegation actually but yeah from, from Shrewsbury in 17th to the playoffs is 10 points and That's a lot of those teams have got game in. I mean, Shrewsbury have got yeah two or three games in hand on a lot of teams above them. So there's going to be a very take Andy Mitchell. Is this the start of a Shrewsbury playoff push? Oh, let's go with it. You have <laughs> you take you take Blackpool. I'll take the Shrews. Whoever finishes higher, that's, <laughs> hey. a, pint, that's a pint at um, the Crook next time we're at Fratton. I'm up for that bet. Thank you, Andy. I've shook hands with you over Zoom. Nice one. All right, let's move on quickly. Mr. Burns messages him. A breath of fresh air and so impressed with such a short space of time. A full week of training. I can't wait to see what's achieved. Let's keep up the energy, high pressing and positivity moving forward. Mr. Burns, I echo your comments, mate. Thanks for messaging in. Fratton Boy 657. I wasn't really blown away at the Cowley's appointment, but their attitude and intelligence really are incredible. I think there'll be choppy waters this season, but still, next season should hopefully be a great year. First time in a long time, I have some hope. Play up Pompey. I think that goes to show a little bit there that everyone was so thinking about who they wanted to take over. But as soon as they've stepped in, everyone's learned a bit about the Cowleys and what they're going to do, their energy, the positivity. I think a lot of people who maybe were doubters have turned around. 
Yeah, it's, it's felt a bit different. I mean, when we did the emergency pod, I didn't really say anything when we were, or when, when you guys were discussing the Cowleys, because it wasn't really an option I'd explored. I didn't really feel qualified to have a, an opinion on it because I'd, yeah, I'd not done the legwork. But this is the first time I can remember with a managerial appointment where it feels like a lot of Pompey fans have actually gone out and done some research. And I don't know, for me, that feels like a bit of a different vibe. In football, it's, you know, I, football fans in general, and I include myself in this, aren't the sort of people that normally go and do some legwork to find out exactly what's going on. I mean, I barely do any legwork and we've got a podcast, for goodness sake. Like <laughs> When it's away from the pod, I do no legwork. <laughs> and But it's felt different here because, you know, there's... There's so much documented stuff out there, whether it's, you know, YouTube videos to do with um, with games when they were managing Lincoln or whether it's being mic'd up at coaching sessions or interviews or podcasts or anything like that. There's there's material there and people have gone and done their own research. And I think a lot of people have not just come round to the idea because they weren't didn't really have the information to have an opinion properly beforehand, but a lot of people have gone the, done the legwork and gone, actually, yeah. This this makes a lot more sense now I've looked into it and it, it feels a it feels very different to me compared to to recent managerial appointments. I don't know if you guys are on the same page with that. Yeah, well, that's a, it's definitely changed with me because I just had vague opinions in my head of how those sides played. I'd, I'd only seen the Cowleys uh, Huddersfield side play a few times. I'd seen their Lincoln City side play here and there, so I had a, I had an opinion based on just those games and uh, and not the material that's out there but from all the all the podcasts all the tactical videos that I've seen and really just listening to listening to their approach on football especially it's definitely been an eye opener and um especially I think the, the big thing for me that won me over initially was the interview with Gary Hutchinson from the Stacey West blog that definitely uh, solved a lot of misconceptions that I had about the Cowleys before they came in. And the game on Saturday was the icing on the cake. All right, let's move into another guest we've got on the podcast. And we're speaking to Ollie from the Salop cast to preview the Shrewsbury game. Probably one of the most knowledgeable guys in League One football at the moment. So yeah, check it out. Here's our interview with Ollie from the Salop cast. All right, I'm here with Ollie from the Salop cast. And Ollie, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me on. No, it's nice, mate. Thanks to have you coming back on. So you came back on last time in January, I think it was. Things have moved and, and changed a little bit, but Steve Cottrell is still managing you. We'll start there. Um, heard he's improved since we've last been. So just just to all talk Pompey fans through how Steve's going on. Yeah, so unfortunately I had to go back to hospital um, with pneumonia caused by COVID. Um, so he got quite bad. Um, then he had some steroids um, treatment. Um, and and then after a couple of weeks, he went back home. So he's been back home for about a week or so now. Um, so yeah, it's good to see that he's back home and hopefully he'll be back soon. I, I don't expect him to be back on the sideline this season, uh, but we just really hope he can be. He obviously, you know, the, the priority is for his own health, um, but given the impact he's had on our results and what a great manager he is, and we really hope that he's going to be fully, you know, fully backed up to speed in the summer to really help us push on because Shooter Town fans are getting very excited. A bit similar to your, you guys at the moment, how obviously you've got a cloud has been lifted um, and everyone looks like they're on, on cloud nine. Yeah, Shooter Town fans are getting really, really excited. Um, and I've seen quite a lot of messages even today. People going, yeah, I'm definitely going to renew my season ticket. Can't wait to see how we get on. Yeah, no, it's massive for the club, isn't it? And 
it's great to see a manager. I think with Steve Cottrell, you're always going to get that passion over the manager anyway. You know, he, he can't help but not be involved. And you can see looking at your results, just quick and going to the results you guys have been to. So last game, you, you beat Burton 2-1, ending their winning streak. And before that, you know, you got a draw against Hull, a draw against Charlton and a win against Rochdale. So unbeaten in the last four. These are all... These are all big results, and some Pompey fans maybe are underestimating how Shrewsbury are playing at the moment. Yeah, I have to say, I did smile a little bit seeing some of the comments from your fans on when you tweet when you tagged me in a tweet. Um, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank last night said that um, Shrewsbury are a difficult team to play against. They keep a lot of people behind the ball. They're not a team you want to go one nil down against. Um, they want to counterattack you, so you need to score first. And yeah, we've beaten, we come back to beat Sunderland, we've beaten Doncaster, we've beaten Lincoln, we have beaten um, virtually everyone apart from Ipswich really in the kind of top half. We're doing really well. We're, yeah, we're doing really well. We're having a really weird kind of second half of the season. Um, so our new manager came in on the 25th of November. Um, and if you did the league table from, from that date, we're actually seventh, even though we've played only played 21 games. So we're, we're behind you guys. We're, some teams have got three games in hand on. Um, and yeah, in terms of results, we've just drawn so many games. We've actually lost two less games than you, but we've drawn 13. So there's only Sunderland who've lost less games than us, but we just draw too many sides. So yeah, goal scoring has been our trouble. Um, Steve Cottrell really tightened himself at the back. Um, now, now I've said this, you'll probably thump us, but yeah, we are a very, very difficult team um, to break down. And Hull just didn't lay a glove on us couldn't we've, we've taken four points off Hull and really we should have taken six um on, on last weekend yeah they, they only scored from Greg Dotty's shooting from long range that was it and then against Burton last night they had one shot on target wow so you you said that you've drawn a lot of games in the league why do you think that is is it because you you go ahead and try and do the sort of the win at home draw away so you're drawing a lot of games away from home or is it just because you're, you're struggling to create sort of clear-cut chances in some games? Yeah, really struggling to create. So we, as you guys know, you know, it takes it's, it's easier to defend than it is to attack, you know, to kind of do that training. So basically Steve Cottrell came in um, and made us really, really difficult to beat. That's when we got those 1-0 wins against Doncaster and 1-0 wins against Lincoln and Hull and got those really tight wins. Goal scoring is our biggest trouble. So we're very lucky that we've got Harry Chapman on loan from um, from Blackburn Rovers and he scored like five goals all from long range. Was it even six now? Um, but we really struggle to break teams down. We're not a side that's going to play intricate passing. We scored like a really nice goal, passing and moving against Rochdale. That's one of the few goals we've scored this season doing that. If, if you know, if a team defends against us, and that's why we actually have better results against the team at the top because we can counter-attack. We're a really good counter-attack inside. But in terms of building up and possession-based goals, we really, really struggle. And that's what the town fans are getting so excited about is that we've seen what he's done in such a short period of time and the players that we signed uh, are, yeah, I tell you what, we've got, we, you signed Charlie Daniels from us and we signed a player four times better than him. I mean, or better, we got from Man City, um, under-23s. He is phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, the, the players that you sign are absolutely phenomenal. So that's why Shooter Town fans are, are really, really excited. Who was the replacement for Daniels? Uh, for so Manchester we got um, Nathaniel Ogbita. He was part of the England under-20 squad that won the World Cup. He didn't play but he's basically a Manchester City youth player. Um, he's 19 years old. Um, and yeah, we, we signed him in, in January um, and he's been absolutely amazing. 
Um, he's, he unfortunately didn't score a free kick, but he hit the post, hit the goalkeeper and went in the back of the net. Um, he did both assists against Burton and he's he's played every single game since we've signed him and he's just getting better and better. His technical ability is fantastic. Um, and he's, yeah, he's just been, a, he's one of those, you know, when you get a player and the fans just love him, he like seems really like really just like he's, when he does a bit, um, an interview, he's so passionate. He said, oh, he's just loving it in Shrewsbury. And yeah, he seems really, really settled. And he's, he's really lucky actually in the sense that his, um, one of his, his, his uncles um, has got a job in Shrewsbury. So he moved from Nigeria to Shrewsbury to be a doctor. And then a month later, Shrewsbury signed him. So he actually lives with his family in Shrewsbury. I think that's really helped him settle as well. I'll definitely keep a player like that very grounded. Um, <clears throat> one thing I was worried about, uh, I wanted to know, especially with Steve not, be, not being around, obviously I read an article in The Athletic where there, he was giving halftime team, team talks sometimes for his hostel bed through Bluetooth speakers and Aaron, Aaron Wilbraham taking a lot of the, um, the, back, uh, the backroom responsibilities. Do you think that the togetherness in that side has maintained and do you think that's the reason why Shrewsbury got so many good results against higher league opposition? Yeah, Ogbetta kept mentioning when his first interview, he kept mentioning the word family and a really, really close bunch. And it's really it's really fascinating. We've got we've got like a really nice mix of we've got a couple of young players, we've got players, you know, a few journeyman players, but we've got a lot of players that just work really, really hard. We don't really have any you know, flamboyant characters that are going to get kind of cause trouble in the in the in the group, and it's really interesting that um, Harry Chapman came in, scored some amazing goals. He scored two long range screamers against Posh, and then he did really well after that. He scored a load of goals. We actually dropped him. He got a bit upset about it, and then um, when he scored against Burn Albion, he ran over to thank the assistant manager. So even players that have been dropped, the togetherness is there that they go, but yeah, there's a real strong togetherness. And I think it's been really interesting for Aaron Wilbraham. He's gone from being a player at Rochdale last year, was an assistant manager for 16 days, and now he's been this kind of hybrid of manager, stroke assistant manager, um, coach, um, kind of doing various things on different days. But it's really interesting. He got Obviously, he's doing all the press conferences at the moment. And he spoke last week saying it's going to make him a much better assistant because he'll know what he can take off the manager. So in some ways, it's obviously, it's not ideal, the manager not being there. But Aaron Wilbraham's definitely his development accelerated. Nice. And just talk, talk about management. I'm going to flip the question around to you, Ollie, because basically all, all ports of fans, you know, are in sort of a little bit of a jubilation, honeymoon or whatever, about the about the Cowleys being appointed. From an outside point of view, what did you think of the appointment? Yeah, two sides of Cowley. So we played them in the EFL Trophy final at Wembley when he was manager of Lincoln. And they were a dirty, long ball, thuggish side. So their striker assaulted Dean Henderson in the first five minutes and should have been sent off. And then they, yeah, they should have, we should have had a penalty from a, a red a red card. And yeah, they were not an attractive side, very, very direct, very thuggish. Um, but what then I saw what he did with Lincoln side in League One and then what he did with Huddersfield I think he's a fantastic manager so I think he's just really really probably really pragmatic he had what he had at Lincoln he had success and then to do what he did in in, in the championship I think with Huddersfield is, is fantastic so yeah I'm really surprised he didn't go to Charlton and when I heard you got him I thought I was, yeah, if I was a Pompey fan I'd been proper chuffed um, I don't think there's anyone else out there who's better. I'm actually really surprised you he, he accepted and you only gave him a, a contract at the end of the season. I don't know why you've done that because 
he might turn around and get a championship job in the summer and you lose him, lose out on him. Yeah, I woke up uh, sweating about that last night, Ollie, because, of the, I mean, let's be honest here. It, it, the club might see it as a, oh, you know, we're going for a low risk approach or, or whatever, because they basically didn't go out and do a manager search before they realised that the jacket had to go, which is pretty odd considering the fan base has seen it for a long time. And even if you did it in the shorter interim, you know, a month leading up to that, what happens if we don't turn this round and the club didn't do it? So, you know, he's, he's got the short term contract. I would be concerned if he does do well, he goes to another club in the championship or whatever. But Hopefully, there's some sort of discussions on that already in place. Maybe some sort of trigger in the contract, or or something else. But we're not actually party to know to know much about that. Um, in the game of Ipswich, I think there was a lot more energy for Pompey. So Pompey pressed a lot more from the front um, and got the ball in numbers, attacking forward. Is that to be something that actually might play into the hands of Shrewsbury if Pompey push you high up the pitch? Um, in terms of pushing us high up the pitch. Um, we're not going to go high up the pitch. We're going to sit deep and we always sit deep. So we'll be quite happy for you to let you have, have possession. Um, we'll be, we play on three at the back, which sometimes goes into a five um, and we were happy to sit quite deep. So I'd be surprised if you uh, manage, manage us to play play a high line. If we do, there'll be a tactic that the manager employs. But I'd be very, I'll be very surprised if you manage to do that. And we're a, a team that if we don't, we will try and press. And there has been games where we pressed. So we pressed against MK Dons and we scored three goals from pressing and they just, they absolutely capitulated. And we, you know, we should have, we could have scored maybe six goals that day. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see what tactics we deploy. One of the things that we really struggled with Sam Ricketts is his tactics were atrocious, utterly atrocious, and he could never, ever change in game. And one, you'll notice that Aaron Wilberham will have um, Apple AirPods in his ears, but he also has the confidence to make the changes himself. So he will make tactical changes. And one of the, 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 the kind of bright spots for us is we have a team now that will make tactical changes. And we've also got a team that has quite a lot of different parts and playing different positions. So sometimes we play four at the back with two sitters and then a number 10, but Goss is a bit quite, is, is quite fluid. So we'll go from a number 10 to a back to a central three and we'll adapt very, very quickly. And, and that's one of the things I really like about and then what the manager's done. Well, actually, similar to what I heard about Danny Cowley did that, he went to three at the back and adapted. So I think it's probably going to be quite a big tactical battle. You mentioned there sort of some things that Pompey potentially have to look out for, or some sort of strengths of, of your team. If you had to identify somewhere that's maybe a bit of a vulnerable underbelly or a, a weakness or, you know, somewhere that you, in the back of your mind, you're a bit conscious that you could be susceptible, where would you say that is on the pitch and why? The easiest one to say is, is in goal. So we've got um, Sarsic um, on loan from Wolverhampton. He is a fantastic goalkeeper. And there was rumours that he's going to be Wolves' number two next year. I question his distribution at the moment. So we so Cottrell wanted to play out the back when he first came into us and he kind of dropped that quite quickly because he saw we didn't quite have the players to do it. Um, but Sarsic is a brilliant goalkeeper and clearly has a lot of confidence. Um, the defenders have a lot of confidence in him. Harry Burgoyne has been in goal and has made some howlers. Um, so that's something to maybe watch. But in the last game against Burton, he had a very, very calm game. So that gives you some, some confidence as well. Actually, Harry Burgoyne played for Wolves under 23s as well. Um, and he's a decent goalkeeper. But yeah, in terms of weaknesses, 
most fans would probably say should have played Harry Burgoyne. And then secondly, we got a lad called Josh Daniels, who's playing right wing back. Now he played as an attacking right uh, inside forward in the in the Northern Ireland League, and we've turned him into a, a right wing back. But he's he's defensively he's all right. He does pretty well, and he wins quite a good tackle. So his duel his duels and wins, and his tackles and stuff are pretty good, and he's pretty good in the air. But he's obviously, you know, he's not a seasoned pro playing that position. So I'd imagine, obviously, with your obvious talent on the left, I imagine that's going to be a key battle area. So Ronan Curtis won't be playing, I've heard. Oh, that's good news. Chat. He's, uh, <laughs> he, he's called up to the Ireland squad and he's now not uh, been included in the 23, but I believe they've got a friendly coming after this. They'll probably rotate him into the squad. So he won't be he won't be playing on the left after having a man of the match performance, I believe it was, lads, wasn't it, in the last game? So it's great when your attacking player comes in and <laughs> sets the world alight and then uh, gets shipped off to Ireland not to start. But yeah, Ronan Curtis won't be playing on the left. Let's go on to, on to the score prediction time. Do you think that Shrewsbury are going to be this team to upset Pompey's Cowley party? I think there's a strong possibility. I see the bookies have you as favourites, which I'm not too surprised about. Um, but I think probably most likely outcome is probably going to be a draw um, but I think whoever scores first will probably win this game and I'm sure you've seen a lot of games this season where the first goal completely changes the outcome of the narrative of the whole game that's what happened to us in most games this season um, and it certainly was a big factor in, on, on Tuesday night we, um, yeah Burn fans probably think that yeah, we're a little bit of a time wasting team which was the case on Tuesday night whoever scores first will pro- probably win but if I make a, a prediction I'll probably go for a one or draw that's really I guess it depends on whether or not you think that lightning strikes twice or if, you know, the law of averages. I mean, Pompey came back from a goal down to win in the league for the first time in two years at the weekend. So it depends on whether you think we're likely to be waiting another two years for it to happen or whether or not it's going to become a theme, I guess. But yeah, the, on statistically, it doesn't happen too often for us to go a goal, a goal down and come back and win. Nice one. Ollie, thanks again for coming on the podcast. It's always great to have you on and uh, best of luck for the rest of the season, apart from against us. I hope you uh, hope you climb up. I reckon a, a top half finish is a, is a good possibility now, isn't it? Yeah, I think a top half finish is, is possible. We've got games in hand, but we've got games in hand against Ipswich, Lincoln and Oxford. So we could probably maybe be quite helpful for you guys in your in your playoff hunt as well. Um, so yeah, so you guys have got quite a—I wouldn't say easy, but you've got a probably favourable run-in. But then at the same time, you've also got teams in the relegation zone who are going to be fighting for their lives. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, you've got an interesting run-in. But as you guys know, you know you've won almost as many games as you've lost this season. No, sorry, you won about seventeen games, lost thirteen. And you guys know it's a very, very tough division. You can beat anyone can win or lose a game any, any day, and there's so many crazy results. So yeah, well, good luck, guys. Not not on Saturday. But yeah, I'd be interested to see if you guys crack on. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you're in League One next year. But um, yeah, I imagine if you do keep Danny Cowley, you'd probably be one of the favourites. Yeah, if that's the case, then uh, we'll have a chat again next season, Ollie. Now our games are up. But anyway, thanks again, mate. And go off and enjoy your evening. Thanks for coming to the show. Thanks, Ollie, for coming on the podcast. And it's going to be a difficult one there against Shrewsbury. Steve Cottrell's really set up the side very hard to play against, as Ollie said. The first goal... It's just a real funny thing that he said would be really important. Let's hope that Pompey don't have to go one 0 down and battle back against Shrewsbury this time. Yeah, it'll be it'll be definitely be rough if that happens because we we know how good Shrewsbury's defending is. Their, their centre half pairings excellent. If they've got Ebanks, Lendl, and Aaron Pierre, 
um, in the back in the, if they play a back three or a back four. So it's going to be very, very difficult for Portsmouth to get those chances. Very, very difficult. So it, it, the first goal is all the more important. And if you if you think back to the Ipswich game, Portsmouth only really created those two clear cut chances, which they scored, thankfully. But that has to be the issue. It, it, it's a it's a tough one. I'm not. I, I'm struggling to uh, think of which what the result will be. Yeah, Shrewsbury are good against the teams at the top as well. Teams that come at them, teams that allow them to have space. So it'd be interesting to see if we play in the same way that we do against someone like Paul Cook's Ipswich side, which, although Paul Cook may not have the players at his disposal at the moment to play exactly the way he wants to play with his Ipswich side, they're definitely playing to his philosophy. Whether they execute it or not is a different story, but they're playing in that way that Paul Cook plays. Shrewsbury play in a completely different way. This is a very different test for the Cowleys, and I'll be really interested to see how they set up Yes, the big question. I'm really again. This is this is what I was saying earlier. I'm really looking forward to the game to see how we go about doing it and see how the the style at which Pompey try and do this differs from, if at all. I'm assuming it will. If that style differs to how it did under previous management, because a lot of our time over the last, well, until we got promoted to League One, I guess a lot of the time for a couple of years was we were desperately trying to break teams down and. It sounds like Shrewsbury aren't going to come looking to play attacking, free-flowing football. And we know that they're extremely well drilled because of, you know, we know their management team intimately well. But it's sure as hell going to be interesting to see how about um, how we go about to, uh, trying to break the team down, isn't it? I'm genuinely looking forward to it. I don't know how we're going to go about doing it. As Freddie says, I'm assuming it's going to involve a lot of triangles. But I'm really looking forward to seeing how that actually manifests on the pitch. And it's just nice to have that excitement about watching in 90 minutes of football again. Talking about excitement, I've got some something I'm quite excited about as well, which is Callum Johnson potentially coming back into the team. He's been training with the squad. It's good to see. And I'll be honest, Pompey have been really missing that Callum at right back. Not only because he's very good defensively, underrated in his defensive ability, because he makes it look quite easy. His pace, his positioning is very good as well. But also going forward, having a fullback that can get forward and support the winger on the right-hand side, as well as getting back and being defensively responsible, it's massive for us, isn't it? Very big, very big. Um, arguably, the signing of the summer, really, Cam Johnson. It's just this, his forward play would offer... Ports of an entirely new dimension. I think James Bolton's done exceptionally well since he's come in from a defensive standpoint, been very solid, um, not done anything wrong sp- specifically, but yeah, John- Johnson would add a lot on that right-hand side with the ability to play those through balls, play, play those whip crosses. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him back in the Ports of shirt. Ronan Curtis, not going to be available in this game, we heard. Probably not going to be involved. However, boys, I want to know what you think. Who will start on the left-hand side? Michael Jacobs could play on the left. He's back now. That would be my choice as well, depending on the formation we go with, etc. But who's going to start up front? Ronan's not around. Ellis is unfortunately injured. John Marcus, I heard, is making a return. So it's possible he could play. Although I don't know if you guys have heard anything else that I haven't, but I'm not sure. I think he's doubtful for the game. So. Maybe they'll keep it under wraps and actually Marcus will just trot out and uh, and lead the line. But who's going to play up front? Is it going to be Jordi Hawula again? I think so. I'd imagine it'll be Hawula and then A and other either alongside or, or slightly behind. And 
again, it's one of the, the fun things with our team. I mean, um, we heard about them with Shrewsbury, how they've got a bit of, you know, malleability and how that they can switch the formation up in the middle of the game and they've got players who can play in multiple positions. But, you know, so have we. Let's stand up for ourselves a bit here. And it's it's quite nice to have a squad that, yeah, we don't know exactly who could start up top, but I absolutely would expect Hiwula to start in one of those positions. Fred, have you got a shout for who you think is going to be playing alongside? It depends what sort of formation they go with. I'm trying to I'm trying to think back to the Ipswich game now. Who, who sort of play, played alongside Hawula? Because arguably, I didn't, I didn't think Hawula had a bad game, but I thought Portsmouth were a lot more fluid when he came off and Ronan Curtis and Williams were up front. So it could be a thing where Hawula's up front with maybe Williams just behind him or alongside him with Harness on the right on the right side. But they rotate in game, so it, so it's not really a a set two or one up front with one behind sort of thing yeah from memory I think I think it was Williams mm. against Ipswich I think one thing I would say do you think Ben Close will start in midfield I hope so I think he's earned it there's two games in a row now the South you game you can't do any more right <laughs> no no and not just that though but he looks like a player that if I'm a new manager coming into a situation and forget all the drama behind forget all the baggage and jackets that he's left behind as he's left out the door and think about it seriously. Who do you want playing for your football team at the moment? And when I'm assessing players in training and when I'm assessing that game, I'm going, Ben Close, he's, he's mustard, isn't he? Let's get him starting in this game. Let's get him alongside Tom Naylor. Let's bring back the partnership from 2018-19. Wasn't that season, boys? So except losing to, losing to Sunderland in the playoffs, let's bring that back. Let's shout about him. We had two midfielders who are arguably one of the best midfield partnerships in League One. I would say the best because Sunderland weren't great, let's be honest. And they were there with the competition at the time. Andy Cannon's a good player as well. But when when Ben Close is playing well, like he is at the moment, his distribution is going to be really vital to unlocking our attacking players going forward. Absolutely. And he's always wanted to score uh, to score a long-range effort. Um, it was mentioned earlier that uh, um, that was one of the, the ways that Shrewsbury conceded a lot of their goals. They, and it, whenever a team drops deep and inv- and invites players to shoot, I mean, I mean, there are going to be horrible deflections that, that are going to go in. There are going to be loose balls in the box that might fall to a striker or a winger. So I think Ben Close is the player for this game. I think because Portsmouth will have a lot more possession, and Ben Close will love that. He'll be he'll be all along the centre of midfield being the outball when Portsmouth are on the attack and making things happen. And I think that's what's needed in this game. Absolutely. All right, boys, before we go into our score, Andy? I was just going to say, are we looking forward to seeing Curtis Main again? Yeah, he's the main man. Yeah, be nice to see him. (laughs) (laughs) He scored the other day, didn't he? He scored against Burton. He did indeed, he did indeed. He looks like a very different player from when from when we last saw him for Portsmouth. So in Scotland, he was doing very well for a bit. Well, Fred, you're sounding like every fan on the planet. Oh, why do players get so good when they leave our club? <laughs> why is every Owen Doyle? Why is he the? Why should he be playing for like his international team now? Rather than you know, as soon as he leaves Pompey, bangs him in for Bradford or Swindon or whoever or whoever he was Holton. at at the time on loan. Careful, no. mate. <laughs> it's Swindon. Swindon's the team we're talking about. No, he was at, he was at, he went he was at Bradford and then on loan to Swindon, didn't he? I think. Yeah, because yeah, he's now where he scored Bolton. the goals, though. That's what yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he, str- he struggled back at Bradford, right? 
that's right, under disgraced manager, so ex-former manager of Richie Wellens, who obviously won, won Salford's first major trophy and then gets sacked the next day by Did you see the old Gary Neville treat resurface? Yeah. Oh, I enjoyed that. <laughs> the, <laughs> the patient, the patient. You've got to be patient with managers, says Gary Neville on, on Sky Sports. Oh, be patient. And then suddenly just... Win a trophy for me at Wembley. I was there with you, holding the bad boy up. You lose the next game, you're out. There you go. That's that's the reality of that's gratitude, oh isn't God. it? Anyway, boys, before we get to our score prediction times, just going to say to people, uh, we're repping Pompey for Fan Hub. So if you want to get involved, we've got over 100 Pompey fans already on there. So yeah, come join us on there. It's free. Hit me up if you want to access code and I'll try and sort you out. I think the waiting list is over 1,000 now. So if you want to avoid that, Hit me up, DM me, at PO Forecast, and sort that out. It's in the top 100 sports apps on Apple, isn't it? On the Apple Store now? Yeah, yeah. It's growing yeah. now. Yeah, it's yeah, it's getting massive. Really so, well. uh, yeah, it's not just us. It's people like us across all the EFL clubs, so check it out. All right, boys, let's get into our score prediction times. It's my favourite time of the week when I say this, score prediction line. Because I want to see your faces as you try and struggle to work out what score you could get. I mean, Andy looks so prepared over there. I mean, he spent two days working out statistics to come up with this prediction. So I'm going to him first. Andy Mitchamore, what is your score prediction? Please make it believable. I go with gut instinct. Um, I think that uh, it would be silly at this point to predict anything other than a Pompey win after we've just been, you know, talking about the positivity within the club. I do think that Pompey will score early-ish and then Shrewsbury are going to have to open up. And I think that'll make him susceptible. So I'm going with a 2-0 Pompey win. Fred? Uh, well, instead of looking at the statistics from the last game, I was shoveling gravel last week. So I don't really, I'm not going to really get a, give that much of a, a big opinion. I'm going to go with a 1-0 Portsmouth. I think it's going to be very tight for a long time. But eventually with the style of play that the Cowleys will implement and and the players being hungry and determined they'll get a chance and they'll take it. And I think Ben Close will score if he starts. Yeah, Andy, who's your goal scorers, mate? Good question. I'm going with one of the centre-backs. Do I need to name who? Or yes, I'm going with... Okay, Raggett Heather celebrating with an emotional hug with Cowley on the side of the pitch and Harness because I think He's got his goal-scoring mojo back after the Ipswich game, and I think we'll see a run of form now as a result of it. Nice. I'm going to go for a 2-1 Pompey win. I think we'll get the early goal. I think they'll come out against us. We'll get a second goal, only to pull one back from a Shrewsbury corner or something like that. One of their centre-backs. Aaron Pierre's pretty decent in the air. Let's chuck him a goal. I reckon that's where they'll get it to. For Pompey, I'm going to go with Marcus Harness, alongside Ben Close as well, to make it a 2-1 Pompey win. All right, that's about all the time we've got for you today. But until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.